Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Oh, even better than a yeah. crunch up supreme. Yeah. So, uh, have you guys all filled out your March Madness <laughs> brackets? No, no. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> You're all gonna lose to me then. We're all not married to Gordon. That's why we didn't do that. Oh, that's true. It's the ultimate ambition to beat him every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This Mm -hmm. is KJ Reed, Taylor Thomas, and Jessica Miller. And today we're going to be talking about resiliency, which I'm pretty excited about because I think it's a really cool topic to dive into. So I just wanted to give kind of a visual or a definition of resiliency that I heard from a coworker. If I am holding a vase in one hand and a basketball in the other hand and I drop them both, what happens? The vase breaks into 103 pieces and, and three and the basketball yeah. bounces. So, the basketball is way more resilient than the vase, right? So it kind of is like if we have something hard happen to us in life, we go through a difficult circumstance, we get in a fight with somebody or just something tough happens, we want to work towards being like the basketball where we can bounce back from it and not like the vase where we break into 103 pieces. So that's kind of our aim for today's podcast episode. We are trying to kind of dig into that topic and maybe give some ideas about how to be more like the basketball and more resilient. That feels right. So today we're going to be joined by one of our cohorts from graduate school. Her name is Jen Castillo-Hurst. She is a superstar in the therapeutic world. But really what happened was Jen was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, and we've kind of watched her go on this journey. And we wanted to share some of the things that we've learned from her and that she's learned through her journey. And when I approached her about being on the podcast, I asked what she had learned, and she said resiliency. And so we really are excited to have her here with us today. Welcome, Jen, to the show the show hi jen (laughs) it's good to be with you guys Mm -hmm. i miss you all same so jen to start off why don't you tell us a little bit just the story of being diagnosed your treatment where you're at now all of that my story actually kind of starts quite a few years earlier than actually my cancer diagnosis so when i was about 22 23 years old, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and have spent many years managing that and going through ups and downs with um, 
that particular um, struggle. And for the most part, it's stayed in check. Um, but about three years ago, I started feeling a lot of pain in my joints and I figured it was just an RA flare-up, which I had had a few times through the 12 years prior. So I went to my rheumatologist and we tried all sorts of things for about six months, hoping that it would go away and that maybe it was just the stress in my life. I had recently changed jobs and had just gotten engaged and it was a pretty crazy time. Nothing worked. All of those treatments that previously had worked didn't. And so my rheumatologist decided that there had to have been something more going on. And he asked that I go get an MRI. So at right after Christmas 2016, I went and got an MRI. And on January 10th, 2017, I received my results. And the results came back that I had cancer. They found tumors all through my torso on the MRI. So I was immediately referred to an oncologist and um, got to see him the very next day. And I was informed that I had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. That immediately <laughs> changed everything that was happening in my life. Hodgkin's lymphoma is actually one of the most curable cancers. Um, and so we had a really great prognosis from the beginning. Didn't mean it wasn't super scary, but I had a really good prognosis. I ended up having surgery to remove a lymph node and to place a port so I could begin chemotherapy. And within two weeks of receiving my diagnosis, I started chemo. And that chemo um, has again, a great success rate for most people, even with stage four. However, my cancer was quite stubborn and resistant to that um, chemotherapy. And after about two and a half months of doing that chemo, I had a PET scan that showed my tumors had continued to grow. And so I was then referred to um, Huntsman Cancer Hospital in Salt Lake to have um, a specialist, a lymphoma specialist, see me. And when I went there, my cancer was quite progressed. My bone marrow was approximately 90% cancer cells. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so my body was not working very well. Um, I met with the doctor up there and she recommended more aggressive chemo treatment. And then again, within a week, I started that next treatment, which was much more aggressive, um, much more difficult physically, emotionally. Um, it meant we had to travel a lot and it was pretty awful. So that chemo lasted about five months. And then I had another PET scan. 
which did show that most of the cancer was gone. Yay. However, <laughs> yay, right? That was a good thing. It was terrifying, um, but most of it was gone. Um, I still had some cancer in my pelvic bone. Um, so from there, they decided to do radiation, specifically on that area, so um, we could target the remaining cancer. And at the end of that, again, it pretty much showed that everything was gone. And my bone marrow biopsies, which are some of the most painful things in the entire world. Oh um, I haven't had a child, so I can't compare it to that, but it's awful. I think you win. I think you probably <laughs> win. Yeah, I think it would probably be bad. Yeah, they're, they're not pleasant. Um, but it finally showed that my bone marrow had healthy cells in it again. So in January of 2018, I got my first clean PET scan and um, went to my doctor, hoping to hear that I was in remission. However, my doctor has never used the word remission with me. Um, She always just says there's currently no sign of disease, no evidence of any cancer. So it's not a word that I actually get to use because <laughs> my doctor doesn't use it because um, how aggressive my cancer was. Mm-hmm. So we just say there's no evidence of disease and currently I'm cancer free. <laughs> how is that, Jen, with not being able to say like, oh, I'm in remission, I'm done with this. How is that with your mental health kind of moving forward? I actually don't feel like it affects it too much because it ultimately means the same thing to me. And I've come to terms with um, what I've, what's already happened. And I feel really good about where I'm at right now. And I just have to stay right here in the present. If I get caught up in what could happen, um, anxiety creeps in fear and that can be a really scary spiral. So Mm -hmm. I just have to stay with the fact that I know right now I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, I love that. And Jen, it sounds like at this point you're in, you're in a pretty good place with it. You, you found a way to look at it so that you can move forward, but how did you cope during that process? I mean, when you were telling us about it, you're like, Oh yeah. And then my MRI came back and then this happened. I mean, I'm sure I cannot imagine what that was like for you, but I'm sure just that dread and those emotions kind of took you on one roller coaster of an emotional journey after that. Absolutely. Um, I have never been one who experiences much anxiety. Um, I've been very lucky to to not be one who stresses out very much, mm. um, who f- has a lot of fear. But that changed oh, when yeah. going through this process. I had so much anxiety, so much worry. Um, and I had never had to deal with it in the way that I did then. Mm -hmm. So I actually utilized some medication. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Every time I had a PET scan, like the week leading up to it was the most anxiety provoking time. And so I would take um, a small amount of anxiety medication to help me be able to calm down, to be able to sleep Mm -hmm. um, and not be so 
uptight and, and anxious about what would happen in those scans. Now, Jen, had you ever been on um, anxi- like an antidepressant or anti-anxiety before? I took an antidepressant for like three weeks right before I got married <laughs> because <laughs> I had a big... Oh, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, yeah, because I got freaked out a little bit. Yes. Um, so it was just something that you saw that could help you and give you some relief from your symptoms. Yes. Yeah. Which I needed at times. <laughs> yes. Well, and absolutely like with these, like you said, in your cancer journey with those scans and that anxiety, like taking those medications, it's probably very helpful. Yeah, it was a lot. And I know like with my clients now, I have quite a few clients who come in and say, I don't want to take any medication mm-hmm. and I can totally respect that. And I hope to help them build their skills and being able to manage their depression or anxiety or whatever's happening for them. But I knew for me at that point, I needed some additional help besides Mm -hmm. the skills that I had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you were experiencing that anxiety. And so what other things were you finding along the way that you just all of a sudden had to cope with? Anxiety was probably the biggest one. A lot of fear, um, fear of the unknown, um, fear of the future. If I let myself go there, um, I had to cope with being really isolated. The chemo that I did and most chemos really, uh, kick your immune system out of commission. And I didn't see my family in person. (laughs) I'll start crying about it. Mm. I didn't see my family in person for like four months. Mm. Um, because my immune system was so horrible. So I had to learn how to have relationships still that were very, they had to be different because Mm -hmm. of the circumstances. Um, And I had to learn how to let things go (laughs) Mm -hmm. to cope with um, the impact it had on my, family and Mm -hmm. friends on my husband. We had only been married four and a half months when I was diagnosed. Mm, Um, So it, it just changed everything from that moment on. I imagine that level of loneliness that you were experiencing, not only loneliness physically from not being able to experience that touch from the people that you love, but also the loneliness and being the one that's experiencing this. Like nobody yeah. else around you was going through it. You were the one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty isolating. And in my family too, like we don't have a history of cancer pretty much at all. Mm-hmm. So this was a very new experience for everyone. And um, to feel really alone. I had to quit working. Um, I couldn't like go to church. And so I felt isolated from my community, um, my, from my family. Um, I couldn't see friends. Um, so it, it meant total and complete emotional and physical isolation for mm-hmm. quite a while. My husband was the only person I saw in person mm-hmm. for quite a few months. Wow. And you guys were just newlyweds. So how did that impact your relationship being like, 
yay, we're newlyweds. Oh my gosh, now we have to deal with this really incredibly difficult trial. Yeah, we were just getting used to each other. (laughs) Um, I don't even feel like we were even used to each other yet. It hadn't been very long. Um, But it shifted to him having to become my caretaker. Mm -hmm. And that, gosh, I didn't think I'd cry. Um, But I don't talk about this very often. Um, He had to move shift roles in our relationship um, to take care of me because I was so sick and he drove me to every single appointment. He was with me for everything. And I know that it was super hard on him. And he is someone who actually struggles with anxiety regularly. And he had to kind of put that aside and focus on me. Um, which what, a what a champion. What a champion. Right? Can you imagine? Just so much respect. Right after getting married. Um, <sighs> he he stepped into it big time. He stepped up big time. Um, but he was actually such a support. Obviously taking care of my physical needs. But also emotionally Um, I know there were times that it was really frustrating and stressful to him that I was so emotionally exhausted and anxious. Um, But he would let me just cry or vent. And from the very moment that we got the diagnosis, he believed that everything was going to be fine. So even when I would just cry because I didn't know if I was going to (laughs) live, He believed that everything was going to be just fine. And so he always had a really positive perspective, um, which was really helpful to lean on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and it sounds like, you know, he maybe had some resiliency through it by utilizing that positive perspective. And so were there other things that, you found in your marriage or, you know, traits you have that helped you be more resilient through it as well? Yeah. um, There were just having supportive people around, um, even though for a while I couldn't be face-to-face with them, but FaceTime was amazing. Um, Having supportive family and friends who would just step in and take care of things for me without me having to ask, allowed me to just deal with my own stuff and not have to worry about all the extras of life. And so allowing myself to vent to every now and then to have a good cry, um, I felt like actually was a really positive thing. It let me get a lot of emotion out and not just stuff it, which I'm really good at generally. And um, being kind to myself, knowing that I couldn't do everything that I had always done. I couldn't take care of myself as well. I couldn't take care of my home like I wanted to or my husband. Um, So I had to show a lot of kindness and grace to myself. And then probably one of the biggest, um, I feel like, coping mechanisms for me was 
gratitude to be able to still see that I was extremely blessed and had everything I needed and was being taken care of and had the best doctor in the world and great support. Even just being grateful for like Gatorade or things that I could keep down or heated blanket when I'd be freezing or things like that. Just being really grateful for every little thing was a real blessing and help to make it through. Wow. That's, that's powerful. I love what you just said about gratitude. That's so true. I know. I feel like it would be so easy to just be like, F you world. I'm not grateful for anything. This blows, you know? (laughs) So like, and I guess for my question for you is how, how did you, did you just like keep reminding yourself kind of like our CBT model? Like, were you, were you just like, I'm angry about this, but I have Gatorade. Was it just practice of kind of reframing your thoughts? So there are a few different ways that I did it. There were times when I had to be very intentional in it. And so there was a month where I posted on Instagram, something I was grateful for every day because I needed to put it out there that I was grateful because it was really hard to do internally. Mm -hmm. Um, So actually expressing it, putting that gratitude out into the world was um, a way to do that. And then, yeah, changing the thoughts I was having, those moments of absolute fear, remembering what I had right then and shifting from an anxiety and fear-based thought to a thought of positivity and gratitude. And it wasn't easy always. Mm-hmm. I had moments where I just wanted to wallow in the difficulty. And did you, did you allow yourself that? Yeah, there were times I absolutely did. I think it's healthy at times mm-hmm. to just let yourself feel the anguish and to not just push it away immediately So there were times that I just cried, Mm. um, whether it was to my husband or to my sister or my mom, or it was just by myself. I let myself cry and I let myself yell. There were moments I let myself be angry about it. But I knew if I stayed in that place of Mm -hmm. anger and fear and pessimism that I wouldn't move forward. Mm-hmm. This is just so much gold happening. Right I know. Now. I I'm honestly like, was just so thinking beautiful. about what you were saying. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you do just have to feel those feelings, but then move forward. Yeah. Jen knows everything. It's like feel them, but don't <laughs> unpack and live there. Cause right. Exactly. Yeah. If you do, your life will suck. <laughs> well, and really, I am someone who my whole life, I've been a stuffer. Mm-hmm. The irony of the therapist being the stuffer, but I know you guys understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, does our resident <laughs> avoidant. Oh, what's right? up, everyone? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I've always kind of been the volcano that just stuffed and stuffed and stuffed until I explode. And if there were times I wanted to do that, and probably times where I really did, where I didn't acknowledge what was I was really feeling. However, I had to make a very intentional decision that I was going to feel whatever I felt 
and anything I felt was okay. Um, yeah. I just didn't want to stay in the dark space. I did want to feel joy still, and I did want to um, be find happiness even in the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So how are you feeling about the journey with cancer now that you're kind of on this side of things? I have mixed feelings about it. (laughs) I don't know if I can say like, I'm so grateful that I went through this (laughs) because (laughs) it's not something that I would wish on anyone to go through. However, I do know that I've learned a lot about myself and I um, learned a lot about my husband and his willingness to stick by me no matter what. And I grew in my faith and even in relationships, even when I couldn't be there with people, my relationship with my mom totally changed. We had struggled most of my life (laughs) and we don't still have a perfect relationship, but I relied on her a lot more. I felt her love for me. So I'm grateful for the things that have come out of it. I don't know if I can say I'm grateful for the process of how it got there. I feel like that's normal. I don't feel grateful for any of the hard things that I've gone through. <laughs> I know, right? But I'm grateful for what you like exactly what you said. It's a beautiful way of putting it. You're grateful for the things that you were able to take with you, yeah. but not the crap that happened. <laughs> right. And I do think I've come out, I hope, a better person, someone who uh, is more compassionate and understanding and right, you're reach pretty, out to others. pretty great before. So it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> right. Well, that's very kind of you, Tay. <laughs> um, but it increased that. I see someone in the grocery store now with what I imagine is probably a shaved or bald head from cancer. And I feel a connection to them. And I, um, I just feel more connected to more people. So Jen, you know, we're, we're doing this whole thing on resiliency. So, I mean, in terms of your life experiences, what does resiliency mean to you? Resiliency is a hard thing to define, I think. But like KJ's example at the beginning was so true that resiliency was not breaking under pressure. I think ultimately for me, it was moving forward in the midst of a storm. So not just sitting and giving in. Um, or allowing things to happen to me, but to keep moving. And there were times I wanted to just give up, <laughs> mm-hmm. but to just keep moving, even if it was a small step forward, to move and not get stuck and to not break, to not have my relationships break, not have my mental health break. Um, but to weather the storm. Hmm. I'm going to have to write that down on my quote wall. So uh, yeah, <laughs> just give me a minute. Jen is <laughs> dropping truth bombs currently. So uh, I love that. I loved that definition so much. Mm-hmm. So how did people show you that they were there to be there for you emotionally and kind of have that, Hey, we don't know what you're going through specifically, but we want to connect with you emotionally. How could you feel that? Um, I felt it in a lot of ways. 
probably one of the best things for me was I have incredible friends, the three of you included, who would reach out to me and were okay if I didn't respond. (laughs) That gave me the space and time um, without any expectation. And, but they let me know they were thinking about me and that they were there and, um, but didn't have any expectation for anything in return. If I could, I would. Sometimes I just wasn't able to emotionally or physically. So that was a big one. And maybe too. sometimes you didn't want to, and that's okay too. <laughs> totally. <laughs> there were absolutely moments like that. I didn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it sometimes. I didn't mm-hmm. want people to ask me how I was. I did want to know that they cared about me. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing was um, people just stepping in and doing things without asking. So I've learned over time and through this experience to not ask someone what they need in a situation, but to just do something And that was really helpful. Like there was a time I was in the hospital a lot. And um, one of the first times I was in the hospital, I was there for about a week and I came home to um, my patio being full of flowers and the ladies in my neighborhood had come and planted flowers and they put up um, an umbrella with a lounge chair and just made a place for me to sit and relax and enjoy um, wow. the weather, things like that. And so I didn't ask for that. I didn't even know that I wanted it or needed it. They just did it. And it was a really cool, beautiful thing. Um, or people who just told me, hey, we're bringing dinner by without asking. They just said, we're going to help you, take care of you. Like my sister coming and cleaning my bathroom. (laughs) Things like that, that I wouldn't have been willing to probably ask for help with, but I actually really needed. So people just stepped in and did things. They just knew or imagined what I could possibly need and did it. Another way that I felt a lot of support um, was actually from like my doctor and the nurses that they were rocks that I could lean on. They were always real with me, but always cared about me. And I had never met these people before. And sometimes I would only see them once, but having a team that I trusted um, and who I knew cared about me not just my friends and family (laughs) was really awesome. Jen, I just love listening to you talk about this because you just have this, this like grace about you and just this, I don't know, like this calm, just wise, (laughs) empathic view of life. And it's been really refreshing and, and uplifting for me to listen to it. And I just wondered if you, have maybe like a takeaway from it, like something that you just want to pass on to listeners from your experience through all this? Oh, yeah. For me, I think the thing I'd want people to 
takeaway is that no matter what you feel, it's okay. And to be angry is okay. And to be afraid is okay. To um, want to give up sometimes is okay. It's just how you move forward. So finding ways that help you move forward. I took a bath almost daily because that was rejuvenating and um, relaxing and I could and think I was at the beach instead of <laughs> in the midst of chemo. But I found things that worked for me and helped me move forward in the midst of that storm. Um, so letting yourself feel whatever it is and move forward. Jen, that is a beautiful sentiment. And really, listeners, we really do want you guys to practice feeling those emotions and realizing that you can be resilient. You can be that basketball through it, just like Jen is in her life. And Jen, thank you so much for joining us. We were so happy that you agreed to be on and be vulnerable. We love people who are willing to be vulnerable with us. So thank you for being here. Thanks for letting me. Anytime. I mean, come back anytime. <laughs> we'll be happy to have you. But that's it for this week. If you guys have any things you want us to address in the future, if you have more questions about resiliency, things you want to hear about, let us know. And thanks for listening. Bye. Sayonara. <laughs> Suckers. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Bloopers. Bloopers. Because so you can I never know. know. Oh. oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. sorry. You yeah. Go. You can. No, 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 I, no, that no, was no, just. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was KJ that was, ruined um, a whole one of our episodes yeah. doing that. Yeah. Oh, sad. We had to re-record. <laughs> <laughs> we we couldn't figure out what the noise was. It was because we you wouldn't stop freaking room. touching her headphones. <laughs> <laughs>